Fundraising everywhere. 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 You need to add me in there. Welcome back to the Fundraising Everywhere podcast. Now, over the next few episodes, we're taking a look at some of our favourite legacy fundraising on-demand sessions in celebration of our Legacy Fundraising virtual conference coming up on the 15th of February. If you'd like to join us at the conference, you can use the promo code FEPODCAST to get 50% off your ticket. Yep, just head to our website and pop in FEPODCAST at checkout to get 50% off our Legacy Fundraising virtual conference in February. Enjoy today's session. It brings me great pleasure to introduce someone I would consider a, a friend. He probably doesn't consider me a friend. Um, but Tim Sarantonio. Um, and Tim is from Neon One. And Tim, for me, is really just one of these generous guys in the sector um, who is willing to share information, willing to pull, willing to collaborate. Exactly what the sector needs, exactly what the sector is built on is this kind of open co- uh, collaboration, even if it's not for your uh, own personal gain. So I'm very, very pleased uh, that Neon One um, have been such good friends with Fundraising Everywhere. Um, and have come today to present this webinar and to share some of their learnings on designing a magical recurring giving program. And you know how I, if you know me, you know how I feel about recurring giving. I'm all about the recurring giving because I'm an ex-street canvasser, ex-telephone fundraiser. Surely that's why you have that kind of monthly giving drilled into you, don't you? Um, So it brings me great pleasure to introduce Tim and I'm going to go ahead and bring uh, him on now. Hello, Hello. Hello. Good morning. I, I'm good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Depending on where you are. Exactly. Um, How are you? It's lovely to see you. Before it's it's lovely to see you. I am very I'm very good. It started just snowing a little bit here, and uh, and while we're kicking off Hanukkah, um, yeah. I did decide to also wear very similarly for me my Clark Griswold shirt for christmas vacation so i mean that is, that is a, a strong holiday tradition now isn't it um you know hanukkah across or everything i think we can all appreciate national lampoon's uh christmas vacation yeah it's almost it's 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 just like that type of dad i am that type of dad i yeah. do will need to go offline i need to know where you made that jumper because oh I, yeah yeah, yeah I, we'll, we'll we'll get one sent across to you. We've given away a few this year, and we'll be giving away more next year. Love it. Make sure. Love we'll it. One Tim, I'm not going to waste any more of your time. Uh, I'm going to hand you uh, hand over to you and your slide deck. Um, awesome. I will share a link to the chat, the public chat, so you can keep an eye on it. But I know it's a lot to multitask, so I will also be keeping an eye on the public cool. chat because I know you're going to try and take some questions, or I will jump. Yeah, on I love head. feed me questions. I'll be paying attention to that. Like, the, right. yeah, absolutely. Brilliant, Tim. Over to you, and I'll, I'll be back at the end. Awesome. Hey, everyone. Tim Sarantonio here. Excited to get into our presentation, Designing a Magical Recurring Giving Program. So excited to to be here. We partnered with Fundraising Everywhere earlier today on an absolutely brilliant um, event on individual giving. Um, I love all the different things that uh, people do when it comes to individual giving, but I am a huge fan of the recurring giving in particular. So 
Um, I'm just going to get into the chat on this side just because I love seeing all the different stuff. We got people from Atlanta. We got kidney care. Awesome. So excited. So let's get into it. I am ready to roll and I'll pay attention to Simon's item, but I like having the chat on the other screen too. So what are we going to be doing in the next hour together? Well, first we're going to talk about what we mean by generosity experience as a whole, right? Like what is the idea of the generosity experience for your supporters? And then we're going to drill in and apply that way of thinking about the world and designing for generosity experiences and looking at it in the realm and specific application of a recurring giving revenue program. And so we're going to kind of walk mainly through three sections in order to unpack that. First is the audience, who are you designing something for? Then how can you make this magical? Basically, how can you create a giving moment that stands out and then leads to retained donors, retained revenue, and increased interest in the work that you are doing? And the way that you can scale this is through technology. So um, throughout, I'm going to use some examples, Neon One, uh, focuses generally on small to mid-sized organizations. A lot of us, uh, our focus is in the United States and Canada, though we have people who are doing things internationally, which is great too. And that's what's fun about this is that um, this is applicable to any sized organization in our opinion. So let's get into it. So first, what exactly is the generosity experience and how do you design for that? So this, first of all, is let's learn a little bit about you now that I have the chat open. Um, you know, how long you answer any of these questions just so we can kind of get the engagement rolling so we can kind of get that energy up, uh, get your blood pumping by chatting in, you know, how long have you been raising money from individual donors uh, do you use different systems to manage these different things? So you have a website, you have a, a, a platform that may process the donations, things of that nature. If you want to share any of this in the chat and also are, what are your struggles, right? Like, I think it's important to address those types of struggles. So I'll pay attention to um, the responses people might have during this. But at the end of the day, when we are talking to folks, and we serve directly about 7,000 organizations, we talk uh, with so many amazing, brilliant people like Simon and Nikki and the rest of the Fundraising Everywhere team. Uh, we talk with, with uh, right after this call, I'm driving to a local arts organization where my daughters do clay class. We're going to talk about the recurring giving program, right? And so people who are, for instance, like Phoebe, struggling with major donors, here's the thing. Many, many folks who give a significant size gift start by giving a small entry level gift, $25. Now, I'm American. I'm going to keep saying dollars, by the way, but translate to your currency as well, right? But but the numbers generally hold up regardless of exchange rates is that it's about 25, right? Maybe 60, maybe up to 100 for an entry level gift. And so a lot of this, especially if you're new, like Andy, to uh, getting digital fundraising going, recurring giving is a great entry point. But we have to think about the larger context of where all of us are operating. 
And that's something that a lot of nonprofits sometimes struggle with because there's kind of two dueling issues that they they that we hear about all the time is that I feel alone and I feel like I'm in competition with everybody else. And so one, you're not alone. And two, you are not in a competition with everybody else. What's actually happening? And a lot of this is driven by U.S. data in terms of, of our analysis, but then we cross-reference that with our partners at Giving Tuesday for a global insight here. And so what's generally happening that we're all going through is three primary issues that a lot of nonprofits, a lot of charities are struggling with. First is that individuals are generally not as trusting to nonprofits as they once were. They, they, they have more scrutiny being applied on things like, well, what is the money being used for? Or arguing about and concerns about things like, quote unquote, overhead. A lot of scarcity mindset is actually driving these types of conversations where it's like, well, it's either this or that. And the other part here is that a lot of the structural, infa uh, structural uh, support for charities is... Uh, relied upon by for-profit companies, including ones like Neon One. But the ones that really are kind of bungling it are the ones who don't understand the sector. They think it's just another market vertical that they can, you know, engage and configure something for. And what is happening is that the typical organization is struggling with three to five different things with their database. And so when you have something like an over-reliance on grants like Lucy's talking about, what it does is it gives you a lot of exposure for these other things not working out, that there's very, very little margin of error that you can take when experimenting with a new program. So that's why I'm excited about recurring giving, because it's a repeatable and proven investment. And we're going to get there, but I want to kind of take this back and take us out of the doom and gloom and talk about what is the generosity experience, because it's not the donor's journey. Generosity experience is ultimately all the different things that you do, not just the money, not just the revenue, not just the programs that you're putting on. It's every single interaction that somebody has ultimately aggregates up into the trust that they have in you. Do they trust you? That's the generosity experience. Are you designing for trust? That's it. It's that simple. And the issue is that the larger sector is not designing for trust. You are fighting an uphill battle of folks who are prioritizing money over people. And so we're going to unpack that. But ultimately, what we need to think about and what we need to do is to get out of that monetary first mindset, because many of us have been taught that this is engagement. Write in the chat if this is something that you've been taught. This is how you cultivate major donors, for instance. The donor pyramid, the giving pyramid, whatever we want to call it, right? Because a lot of times this is the training. This is like you have these people in this bucket and you work them up and then they're going to be here. They're going to be there, right? Here's the reality, though. This isn't how people work. This isn't how people think. This isn't how people operate. This is how they operate. It is fluid. It is organic, just like you. So if we understand that generosity experiences, including, to Lucy's point, Grant's Mountain, that you have to climb, 
then how can you actually turn this into something like, a re- well, why recurring giving, first of all? So we've done research with the University of Texas at Dallas. We looked at over 6 million transaction records in our data set a few years ago, and we're actually working on a refresh of this that will get launched uh, and released in next year, 2024. We're aiming for April is our release date of this report. And so we found that recurring giving is extremely effective, especially for smaller charities and nonprofits. And about because we can see not just online gifts, but all gifts, 15.4% of revenue can be attributed to this type of program, which is very, very powerful and very, very reliable because also it's digital driven, so the costs are lower. It doesn't have to be only digital, though. We'll get into that in terms of the way that you engage people. It's just that people are paying online, typically with a credit card or especially in European countries, more with ACH or e-checks. They're linking it to their bank account versus a credit card. Either way, they're not writing a physical thing and they're not being driven through an event transaction engagement. Finally, though, look at that aggregate number per donor is that the typical yearly amount annually is about little shy of over $750. It's about $63 and change per donation, what we found. Now, different data shows different different kind of bands here. Classy's done some research here. Of course, Just Giving's done some research, right? And so when you get down to it, though, it's it's not tens of thousands of dollars, but it's coming from lots and lots of individuals. So how do you grow that? How do you scale that? Well, first, why recurring giving? First, it increases annual revenue. It provides budget stability. I am more than, I'm very transparent. Simon knows this. The entire slide deck can be shared, by the way. So they got that. So fundraising everywhere, they can share. And so it provides budget stability. Okay. So instead of like me, when I was an annual gift fundraiser, I would hope that all the pledges that I had received from my $1,000 donors, my $5,000 donors came in during this period of the year. I would be, you know, really kind of crap in my pants, in all honesty, to put it bluntly during this time, because I would be hoping that a bunch of checks came in. And then we would do that weird backwards date thing because the checks came in actually over the holiday, right? But it, it really counted for last year. This is not a way to think about people. Your donors don't think about your calendar or fiscal year, right? And so if you think of this as a long-term investment, then this is the right way to think about it because it overcomes that scarcity mindset that is forcing you to think about things in an annual or quarterly way to think about things in a monetary first way. So if you are saying, my staff is overwhelmed, I do not have the capacity for this, recurring giving can be like an event. Treat it like the launch of this is an exciting thing for your community of generosity. If you say, I don't have the the resources to overhaul all the things as part of this, then start with the homepage. And we're gonna get into that on how to do that and why to start with a few different components. And then finally, it's like, well, I don't have anybody to do this. Then give your volunteers and board members something to do in a very specific way. Ask them to share it, right? Leverage the digital community building. So I'm a data-driven guy, though, 
And so it's important to kind of structure these things with an intention in mind. I was even meeting with some of our members of a new donation program that we're rolling out that focuses on under-recognized and underrepresented communities. And they got into, we would love a recurring giving program because it's it's then known revenue. And I said, well, where? how would you like to start? Where? What number would you like to, to kind of go for? And the issue is that a lot of times leaders just throw out a number that sounds good. Oh, I want $50,000. That's not how you should think about it. So what you can do is think about things in a strategic way, because the purpose of generosity experience design as a planning framework for you is to understand how the tools and technology lead to the trust with people. That's it. This is just naming when things are done well between your staff and the operational infrastructure. That's it. It's already naming the things that you do well. And so revenue programs focus in, especially recurring giving, in this area. So let's unpack each part of our ecosystem. And that's what the three sections are going to be. And I'm continuing to focus on the chat because this is really rich. I got like 50 slides. So we're going to get through all of them, but like, let's roll. Right. And so when I talk about maturity models, for instance, you have to first ground, where is your organization? Let's be realistic because a lot of recurring giving, um, uh, presentations love talking about charity water, for instance. Right. Um, that's well, well, and good. Most of you are never going to see any of the resources that they have at their disposal on demand. Right. So it's better to not look externally, look at yourself and be realistic and be radically like apply some radical candor to your own work. Where am I? And so if you're looking at a revenue program, this is really good, especially when you have a bit of operational maturity and you're ready to go and say, OK, I have a board. I have some really dedicated volunteers. It might only be me or I have a few staff members that can focus on things like marketing, asset creation, or we're okay working with a fractional marketer or fundraiser to kind of supplement this stuff. There's so many paths that you can get to this. And so we're going to break down each of these, but kind of what we're focusing on is that core program development, getting it into that infrastructural development stage. And then expansion is in all honesty, where you can begin to get more sophisticated to ramp these people into major gifts cultivation or mid-level giving or legacy or plan giving, right? That's up here. That's out of scope for today. We're just focusing on here. And so when you're thinking about your strategic planning, think of it almost like an eye toward the future. What is your theory of change? What is your systemic idea of the world that is going to be different because you uniquely have done something and connect that all the way back to the tactics that you're doing. This is where a lot of nonprofits lose the thread. They start to create revenue programs that do not have a connection to that systemic change vision. Everything you design needs to be connected to that. Everything. Don't just do the black tie gala. So when you're developing this, you could be smart about it. And this is just a simple acronym to say, be specific. We want to raise 10,000, you know, $1,000 by the end of December. And 
here's the metrics that we have. We're going to be measurable. And I'm going to give you recurring giving specific metrics if you're kind of starting with nothing here. But develop your own that make sense for you. You can choose your KPIs just because I say this is a good key performance indicator or KPI doesn't mean that it's like going to work for everything, right? And same with benchmarking. If I show you benchmarking data, you benchmark against yourself. Ultimately, that's the best goal. So we want it to be achievable. Be realistic. This is where board members can lose their mind. Trustees to translate, right? They can go, oh, well, let's get $100,000. Go ask Oprah. No, that's not how work things work. And also make it relevant. Is this relevant to the work that you're doing and timely? You could put time boxes around your big initiatives. Okay, during this period, I want to do that. The issue is that too many people, they put an end date and they go, okay, this fiscal year, we're going to get this, but they're not connecting it to the larger story. That's the issue. Smart goals are very hyper-focused. If we even go back for a second, smart goals really kind of fit here and definitely here, right? It's very tactical. So you have to cover these things first before you get this is. But you got to do both. So in the absence of, of, of knowing where to start, where do you start? To connect things, look at things like your donor retention rate. And I'm going to walk through how to calculate that later. Look at things like your projected revenue. You have 100 donors giving $25 each, and we know that their retention rate is 90%. Huh. Rock and roll. Donation page conversion rate. And then your growth and giving rate. And this is why we give the slides, because it gives these definitions. And I don't want you to take a random screenshot of this and figure out how to apply it. We'll give you the deck. So let's get into rule number one of our three rules. First, focus on people, not money. This is actually drawn from our friends uh, across the pond as well, the Institute for Sustainable Philanthropy. And so these are philanthropic psychology approaches to how to think about things. But they're very powerful if we understand that donor motivation is ultimately driven by three interrelated things. First, does the donor feel competent? Do they feel competent in the decision that they are making? Did they Were they autonomous in this? Did you guilt them into it? Do you have the sad puppy and the sad music is playing? Is that how you're acquiring people? Sadness, guilt, don't do that. Make them feel that they can do this on their own because they are connected to a bigger movement. That is why the theory of change is important. Because ultimately, situational and relational giving isn't as strong as identity-centric giving. And what I mean by that is situational giving would be, it's end of the year. We need to hit our goals. Please donate. That's a situation that somebody's responding to. That's very fickle. People, people are fickle creatures, and they might not care. So you can't rely on situational gifts. But you, you can create an environment where those are uh, very easy to acquire as well as an entry level. Remember, that's the largest pool in our graphic. But then relationship-focused giving, relational giving is another important one. Here's the problem with relational giving. You may have a leader that is very charismatic. Maybe it's even the founder of your organization. They can walk into a room and they just blow people away. That person leaves. That person passes away. What happens to the nonprofit? 
And that is why you need to shift toward an understanding that identity-centric audience development is your gold standard. And that is very hard to do if you don't know who you are. (laughs) But once you know who you are and what makes you awesome to others, then you can connect with your community of generosity. And these are the drivers that we all have living in our heads at any moment in time. I am a smart person. I am a father. I am, you know, part of my local, you know, bowling league or whatever. I am a recurring giver and I live in upstate New York. I'm actually not part of a bowling league. I have no clue why I use that. Nobody actually does bowling leagues much anymore. I'm part of a D&D group that's actually more applicable, okay? So it's like Dungeons and Dragons, that's a group identity. It could be formal, it could be informal. You get the point. Most people consider themselves to be moral. I am a moral person. So you can't just assume that you can appeal to people's inner good nature. We're going to get into why understanding that everybody generally thinks that they're a good person helps you. But this is really when you can get more personalized and connected to people. So how mature is our program? From a starting point, you need to start with your audience as that core development. You are not designing for donors, you're designing something that connects your mission in a way that the best way that they can build trust with you is a recurring giving program. It is a very different approach to things. It's not just donor centricity or even worse, donor primacy. It is a much more holistic and connected understanding. Again, going back to that generosity experience, it is an ecosystem. So when we are trying to acquire and build connection with people, how can we do that practically? Well, first, have a strong brand. Brand is not your logo. Brand is not the programs that you put on. Brand is not the website that you have or the marketing activity that you do or the events that you do. Brand is the trust that people ultimately have when they interact with all of those things. So to build a strong brand is first, know your values and stick to those. Then you need, of course, that strong visual identity. You need to have a clear voice and tone. Are you speaking to folks informally because maybe you're a children's charity and you want to have that fun come through? And then that leads to the engagement. How are you actually interacting with people? Are you making this a bi-directional community conversation? By shaping your nonprofit and understanding that these components lock together, you can build a powerful brand because ultimately these shape the perception, the connection, and the unique role that the your organization plays in your supporter's life. You want them to have a home in their brain. And so when you build brand awareness, that creates things that help create those connections and make it that it is something that people even can bring up in organic conversation that has nothing to do with you being involved. That is identity-centric audience activation. Oh, I, my local nonprofit did this amazing thing. Let me tell you about it. That's what you need to create a atmosphere for. You need to give it oxygen in order to have the ecosystem thrive. 
So the way that you can do this when it comes to recurring giving is even going back to practical examples. Sparrow's Nest, we actually partnered with them and did a, uh, a um, presentation at our conference, virtual conference called Generosity Exchange in October. And we worked with them and Visa on this awesome presentation. And so here's an example of like when you go to their homepage, look at how clear this theory of changing is, right? We're giving homemade meals to families facing a cancer diagnosis in the Hudson Valley, okay? Let's go audience identity centric and let's use the chat. What audience identities are being activated just with that homepage headline? Delivering homemade meals to families facing a cancer diagnosis in the Hudson Valley. Let me see something in the chat. Give me an identity that that connects to. I need one so I, it shows that I'm vaguely doing my job right. Caregivers, parents, patients. There you go. Geographic. Yes, emo one, two, three. That's kind of what I'm looking for is it's a geographic activation, Hudson Valley in the upstate New York region. But parent, that's a relational that's a relational activation, but it's not a relational activation between you and the staff or the donor and the staff. Rather, it's a relational identity that says, hey, I have I have a family. And what people start to do because we are inherently empathetic creatures is that they start to identify with the, the struggles that people are talking about here. I have somebody who's gone through cancer. I have a family. I want a homemade meal, homemade meal, right? This is stellar. And so then that translates into the giving examples. It's going to drive that seamlessness. Look, even to the visual identity and the images and the storytelling components, these come through even when the experience starts to go deeper into when you want them to take an action. It has to be cohesive and consistent. This is where a lot of nonprofits, because they have disconnected tools, lead to struggles. Because they start to lose people in very small. It's almost like a lot of times vendors want to point out, well, it's this big, massive problem and our technology will fix it. And this is why technology doesn't fix things automatically, because it's actually more a death by a thousand cuts. It's little things building up because you don't have the capacity to get on top of it. That's the reality for almost all of you out there is you just are underwater and you don't have time to focus on making this stuff sink. So that's why it's important to go, what is actually important to me? And what I'm telling you is that brand cohesion does play a major role in ensuring that generosity experience is a healthy one. A toxic experience is they click the email and it has nothing to do with what you've just told them about in the email. These build up. So applying this to recurring giving is first strong connection to your core brand a good recommendation is naming it. Something like harvest helpers for a food organization. The other thing is don't 
worry about what other organizations that are similar to yours are doing. Don't be the best. Be the only. You're the only one with that theory of change. So why would you want to rip off somebody else's stuff? You're the only ones that can deliver things in that unique way. Sparrow's Nest is the only one serving the Hudson Valley homemade meals to cancer survivors. So why wouldn't you want to be part of that? Because we've given you a clear impact statement. And you're doing this with the audience in mind. And we're going to get into that in the very next section. Okay, so we're at our halfway point. How are we doing, folks? I'm about halfway through our time together, as well as the presentation. Any any pause for questions on anything really big time before I shift into rule number two and three? Let me go back up, make sure I didn't miss anything either. Entry-level gifts to nurture them into larger multi-year gifts is what Crystal said. Great. Sue also said, we have no experience around regular giving to systems. Yep. So we're connecting that to, to the struggles that we have here. So good, good, good. Enjoying it. Thank you, Sean Rich. Okay, let's roll. So now we've started to develop a little bit of maturity. We've named the program. We've given it something that is cohesively tied to our larger identity. We've also started to identify maybe there's specific people this appeals better to. A lot of conversations I have, for instance, um, oh, let me, uh, oh, I was I was in a, a, a talk with one of our Catalyst Initiative program members who's that, that kind of that under-recognized, under-represented community, and they service... Um, folks who've gone through abuse, this one organization. And, and so the line that this leader, this nonprofit leader said was, I know what it was like. I know what it was like. What a powerful statement. So keep something like that always hammering home. Who really knows what it was like that would be invited in to grow this beautiful vision? Because you're tying the money coming in to the impact. It's not the money for the money's sake. It's the medicine that the money represents, as Edgar Villanueva talks about. So, okay, we're a little bit higher up the maturity scale. Where are we in the ecosystem? We've gotten people to come in. Maybe we got that one gift. Maybe we got somebody to set up a schedule too, right? Because sometimes... It's almost best to have something that introduces people into your ecosystem with a big event, a transactional kickoff. And then you say the second gift is the recurring gift. So you can play around with this. You can see what's best. You don't always have to immediately lead with sign up for the program. You can go and say, this is an option on our website, but let me go ahead and cultivate these people for it, right? So there's some really interesting strategies that you can have as you get a feel for your community of generosity. So, okay, we started to get there. Now let's talk about the fun, the giving, the money. The money's going to come in. How are we going to get it? I need you to understand the idea of the peak end rule because it's going to change your life. The Pekin rule, if you haven't heard about this, is a psychological understanding that people don't remember the average of an experience. I am going to be at Legoland in Florida in a few weeks for Christmas. Now, some of you that might say, 
Oh, that sounds like fun. Some of you might say that sounds like absolute hell on earth. We're going to see. But what's realistically going to happen is a few months after that trip, I'm only going to remember likely the best or worst things, depending on how the trip went. And I have a feeling it's going to be the best stuff. I really do. I'm, I'm an optimist, and I think I'm going to remember my kids lighting up at the fireworks show. Or the fact that they have the Lego movie playing on demand anytime that you want it, right? Like these little magical things that they've sprinkled through. So the peak end rule says humans remember the high or the low of an experience and the end. And that's it. Everything else kind of like fades away over time. And so there's four components to really tapping into that, especially when you are designing a recurring giving program. First, engaging storytelling. Then showcasing impact then providing a personalized experience and ending on a high note. So how does that look like in practice? Engaging storytelling. So first is that you can have very clear CTAs that activate on this. Now, uh, because I there, there's some cool animations on the usual slide. I think those are getting kind of, because um, uh, I uploaded it, which is much more user-friendly experience here, but I think my little GIF might not be showing here. And that's okay, because... IPH here, or inter, uh, they used to be known as Interfaith Partnership for the Homeless, they have a nice rotating carousel on their website. And so you can have things that align with different audiences on your website's carousel. You can even add and go, okay, I'm going to show one photo, and then a few seconds, another photo comes, and then a few seconds, another photo comes. And so you lead with your strongest one, but then you're also aligning with potentially different types of audiences. Okay, so you got to take into account your program, folks. They're, they're there to look for information. You shouldn't be just asking people automatically for money as the very first thing that they see. They want to know what the hell you do. Families, Hudson Valley, cancer, food, right? Very clear CTA. But you can have it where maybe the sub items or the parts that people go deeper on your website or different pages, they start to unpack a different part of your community of generosity. Then you also want to showcase impact, right? And so maybe you want to make it that the button pops up and has some things that describe what the money might be going toward. You can make it very easy that somebody can find the button and click it. One of the things that I really, really hate is when somebody puts something that says donate now, and then I click the button, and then I'm taken to the page that looks like this, which has, well, okay, now you click donate, or you can register for something, or you can sign up for an, an account. No, if I'm hitting donate now, I want to donate now. This is what we mean by the generosity experiences. Are you building trust? Or are you putting up walls? How many clicks does it take to get to there? It all is connected. And that's why you should think into how can you personalize the giving experience? And so when we did some research on when people are even giving online, we found that the highest period of the day is typically around 1130 on a Thursday is is a very high point for giving. And that's, you know, there's a lot of reasons that you can ask yourself why if you see something like that why somebody might be doing that. So it might be because people are like done with work and they want to start thinking about other stuff or that's where maybe some appeals are going out, right? So it depends. It depends. You should do your own research. But at the end of the day, understand the preferences that your community has and then reward 
the most effective ones. Go, okay, we're going to lean into this as long as it's still a positive and healthy type of experience that we're trying to cultivate here. And you can also do this by adjusting the different uh, options on the page. The more sophisticated things with um, with technology could be custom giving strings, which is like a recommended amount, uh, things of that nature. Um, I've seen some platforms try to shove recurring giving down people's faces, though, like I saw this a lot on Giving Tuesday. There was a few platforms where they automatically go do the recurring gift as a first time donor. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm just getting introduced here. So you have to keep in mind that technology can get in the way, even if they think it's a good idea. So make it clear what's going to work for your community of generosity. And you could do this through different things. Like if there's a big campaign that you're launching, you could talk about recurring giving at it. If you're doing an event, you can bring it up or have pamphlets about it. If there's a big giving day in your community or something like Giving Tuesday, this is a great follow-up call to action to those folks after you demonstrate, look, look at what we did together. Now let's take it year round. What's the story that you're building and always end on a high note. So if you can design things where somebody's exit page gives them a little bit more information or gives them something else that they can do or shares it on social, you're empowering them to really get activated because here's a really important insight into human psychology. We don't view this thing, that donation page, the same as an e-commerce transaction down to the dopamine that gets fired off. If I am giving, going back to the peak end rule, if I'm giving, my dopamine and my excitement is fired off at the time of the gift versus Amazon or whatever getting delivered, I'm excited for things to come in the mail. I'm not really jazzed about like, I just paid them a bunch of money. I want my stuff. You don't get stuff when you make a donation. What you do is you get emotional stuff given back to you. So lean into that. They might want to volunteer for you because you've gotten them to give you money. The typical generosity approach is not the money. It is the fact that there's time, talent, and treasure that people can contribute to you that leads to your theory of change. So don't forget that people don't always have to just give you money to show their support. So amplify that on something like the transaction exit page. So just to kind of recap this section, and then we'll round things out with our final section and maybe some time for questions. So first, brand and storytelling. What is your unique why? What is the call to action to get people to step up and be interrupted in their day? We have so much happening right now, right? There's so many different things happening in the world. What will make them think of you? Think about the fields that you're actually putting on the forms themselves. Are they relevant to recurring givers? One of my favorite fields that you can add is something like a donation field that's an open text field. You do not require it. And it simply says what motivated you to give today. Imagine what you can do with that information. If people are supplying you first party data, it's just a fancy name for somebody that says, I'll give you that, right? Like, okay, I would love for you to download some of our resources. But the best way to do that is 
if it's not guilted that you find something interesting and valuable to that. So to lean in and say, what's your motivation to give is recognizing that they are a unique individual. Now, what can you do with that information, by the way? You can run it through something like ChatGPT, removing all the personal information, just looking at the textual analysis. Okay, what are the emotions that people feel? We actually analyzed email engagement subject lines and found that from over 37,000 email campaigns sent out in 2022, the top emotions that drive people are optimistic, are gratitude. It's not negative stuff. So you can do your own versions of this. You also need to keep in mind that there's more sophisticated digital options. But I've even seen like some vendors try to push things like donor advice funds, just like by default on something like Giving Tuesday. I'm like, that's a terrible idea. No donor advised fund person is running out going, I can't wait to give on Giving Tuesday. They've made a planned gift investment decision months ago. So understand that the vast majority of these people are kind of like, yeah, I could give you 25 bucks. So make that easy for them. Apple Pay, Google Pay, ACH, stuff like that. Credit cards, of course. And then also, you know, check if your provider offers things like automatic credit card updating, which is going to get us into the next part. Use technology to accelerate the experience. So that example is a great one. A lot of people, they go, yeah, but recurring donors, they're kind of a pain in the butt because I had to go call them for them to update their credit card. Not anymore. You don't, you don't have to do that automatically. Some folks will offer it that if the credit card expires, you don't have to hunt them down. Or maybe things can get queued up. And your system can then tell you, hey, these people's credit card expired. It's got nothing to do with the auto, auto updater. Give them a call. Okay. And that's when you get mature. Notice that I haven't really talked about technology in a deep way until right now. We talked about feelings <laughs> for most of this. Good. Thank you, Simon. I love stuff on LinkedIn. Uh, so, yes, please follow me. I would love that. So where are we? We're mature. We're growing on up. So how can we deepen this? How can we go deeper? First, we need to retain people. That's the big draw of a recurring giving program is donor retention is stellar. We're talking about 80 to 90% donor retention rate. These people keep giving and giving and giving. Most donors are probably not aware that they're supposed to give to you on a yearly basis. They're like, but I helped you. It, didn't my money like do what it was supposed to? Yeah, but like that $10 wasn't enough. Let's tell you why. So that's the thing is that a lot of people aren't drawing a direct line between the money and the impact that it makes. That's why you got to connect those things. And when you do that well, donor retention rates get better. And so the typical new donor, according to the Fundraising Effectiveness Project, which is the largest analysis of donor data in the world, we're a contributing partner to that, along with Bloomerang, uh, Classy, Kila, Community Brands, QGive, um, Donor Perfect, and so and more coming. And so it's a big data set. And so we found that first-time donors, people who gave to a nonprofit for the first time. So if you got somebody who came in this year. Uh, eight of them are not going to give to you again, most likely. Terrifying. 
Ah, but you know who bucks that trend? Recurring donors. So, by the way, this is how you calculate donor retention if your systems aren't doing it for you. Little handy calculator there that you can use. It's a little formula. But there's also a lot of stuff that can automate this. So when you're tracking donor behavior and you're trying to understand what are these people thinking, there's a few things to focus in on. The frequency of the engagement and the donations, the appreciation that you are doing and the frequency along with that, the involvement that they are showing as well as the involvement of other people around them, such as when do you bring in your major gifts officer? into these conversations. You have to think about this from the generosity experience. If somebody donates, signs up for the recurring giving program, and then a month later gets a call to have somebody ask them for a $500 gift, they're gonna be pissed. They're gonna be confused. They're gonna be like, I already signed up for something for you. So that's why it's important to also have a feedback loop so people can share where you can hone things. And that's because you got to think about things, not like the pyramid, but where they are in their own maturity scale. If we're thinking about organizational maturity, it also translates down into individual donor maturity and their relation to you. So you have people who are new. You have people who are building that connection with you and getting more interested in what you're doing. And then you have people who are very mature about it and they get what you're doing and they're going to give you a lot of leeway and a lot of trust and eventually a lot of money. Recurring givers are six times more likely to become planned givers. There's a direct line. This isn't rocket science. It's very, very clear that when you reward trust, trust is in turn rewarded. So let's think about those four different types that I talked about. How can we practically do this? Another slide that benefits from being downloaded and looked at later. So I'm going to give you a high level overview on some practical things. So developing a stewardship plan. So this is how you maintain relationships with folks. Well, maybe we're going to have a communications frequency and a recognition strategy and opportunities for somebody to get involved, like a, don't, like a, a volunteer project that they can do. Let people in. Don't do this in a hierarchical way. Don't do weird giving societies that only the rich people can get into. But you can use things like technology to say, hey, recurring donors, our harvest helpers, here's a direct message from RED thanking you for your assistance. Tech can come in and do that. You can use things to use to organize it, to engage, all of this type of stuff. Personalization. So maybe you are having a special dinner for your recurring donors. Remember, especially if you are a nonprofit that's focusing on community organization, uh, community capacity building, you're working with under-resourced uh, communities, throwing the big black tie gala might not make sense. So what makes sense for people who are those grassroots supporters? It's okay to give like personal recognition and to have events for people who are showing more commitment. Just don't do it in a weird, like classist way. You don't have to. And that goes back to 
is it connected to your theory of change? These are all connected. And you could offer opportunities for people to further engage and share, right? One of the things for a webinar that we're doing, uh, the Butterball uh, Turkey Hotline is something in the U.S. you can call it if you're struggling with how to cook a turkey, maybe a goose in uh, the U.K. perhaps, right? And so, um, you know, your figgy pudding. So you're struggling with that. You can call these people up and they'll give you some answers, right? And so one of the cool things we're doing is like letting people record a video for that type of thing. You could do that too. It's like ask somebody a question, right? Like maybe you're a zoo and you do something that's like ask a zookeeper. Because then you're getting like practical things that people are thinking about and tying it to your mission in a very innovative way. Amplify, repurpose, connect. The tech accelerates these because you have a very clear purpose of why it's being used. So when you have that grounding and you're not just chasing shiny objects, you could do a lot of different things with the data itself. You can say, hey, these people haven't, you know, they stopped responding to our stuff. You know, we should check on them, see how things are going. You know, are they still interested in supporting our vision? We can track the engagement. These emails got open. These people came to these volunteer events. You can use this for the overall program's evaluation. Is the retention keeping up with what we expected it to be? Or are we having to put more resources because we're losing more people on this program? Right. A lot of times people do budgeting. I just finished up a great blog actually about this where people do their budgeting, but they don't take into account donor turn. So they're like, we need to raise 10,000 extra dollars for this new program. No, you lost 60 percent of your donor revenue. you got to raise sixteen hundred dollars, sixteen thousand dollars. Stuff like that. And what are people doing? And then also have time for fun and creativity and experimentation. Build it into the plan. There's a lot of cool things, a lot of cool resources on that in particular, but that's for another day. Final two slides, basically. Final, final few slides. Right on time. So why is this important for end of the year? First, most people are generally giving around, you know, the whole year. People are giving the whole year. But 30% of folks come in during this period, that November and December period, as a first-time donor. So here's the cool part. When those people come in and are engaged in trust building, their retention rate is significantly higher. Because a lot of times, nonprofits... Here's my theory. I don't have the data to back this up yet, but my theory is that the volume of communication in December especially is very high. And so there's a lot more storytelling happening. And hence, look at that retention rate, that 40.2% 40 40 retention rate on new donors coming in November and December. So again, my theory is the volume in general from nonprofits, a lot of people do the one appeal or the one newsletter where they send out their, you know, their thing in December. And then that's what those people are getting. But it's very like pertinent because they gave in November or December on something like Giving Tuesday. 
And that means that they're getting these other communications a lot quicker versus the January donor. So one simple thing you can do, grab some post-it notes and map your own journey from start to end. Don't do it for you. Do it for the donor. How do they find you? How do they learn about you? How do they make a decision to give as a recurring donor? How do they actually make the recurring donor gift? Each of these is a different post-it note. And then what you're doing is mapping back and going, do I have the assets to actually make this come alive? Do the idealized version. You can bum yourself out potentially and do what you currently do. Or you could start with the idealized and then fill in gaps. I think that's more fun. And then it could look something like that. You could translate this. You can then have it on a whiteboard during a planning session. And you can go, oh, we want to do this. Or where do we build in the magic moment that people are like, this is the confetti. This is the confetti part. I've had stagnant recurring programs. What should be the first step? Map the journey. That's actually what I would recommend is what does your journey currently look like? If it's stagnant, there's probably something broken during the generosity experience that you are designing around it. What is Where are people losing trust? So that's what I would do. Do this exercise and then map it over to the data that you have, right? And then say, okay, those people stopped giving. Let's use data to see who's started giving. Go talk to them. Give them a call. Hey, I'm not asking you for a gift. I'm asking you why you stopped giving. Just tell me that. A little quick resource for you. Let's keep learning. So end of the year stuff. We got some really cool things planned for 2024, but generally, I'll leave that up for just a moment, but it is on the page. This is the same thing that you're seeing on the landing page too. So you don't necessarily, you could just click the button that I'm looking at too. But people like their QR code. So thank you. Two minutes to spare, Simon. I'm ready for questions. I'm impressed, Tim, uh, as always, an, an utmost professional uh, bringing in at the end. So I just want to, I'll quickly ask you this question that's just come into the chat from uh, Jiu. Sorry if I'm pronouncing your name wrong. Um, but what would you recommend for charities that have had stagnant recurring gift programs? And actually, I've heard from a lot of charities feeling like this at the moment. Yeah, I would. Flat. What's the I, first step? I would perform that audit. I would kind of look at the data and go, where's the breakdown? And and map out the experience. Map it out from from the current way it works. Literally, just get post-it notes. You don't have to even pull up your database. Just go, okay, let me click around. Hmm. And 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 if you have any source data for why somebody came in, that that's the thing. Like a lot of the digital stuff is so frustrating because there's this unattributable wall of like, where did these people come from? Hmm. So okay, fine. Start there. <laughs> if you're like, I don't have time to do an audit, fine. Ask a motivation question on your form then or go and do a survey and figure out what's the breakdown there. The, the data can almost be overwhelming, can't it? Because it's like mm -hmm. you, you start to try and think, how how do I map this journey for infinite people? Yeah. But actually, it's kind of easier if you if you do break it down to that one person. If you almost have one donor in mind, what do archetype you want them to experience? That's exactly. That's part. why in that first section of people over money, archetype who is your ideal recurring donor? And then you can get interesting with segmentation, but archetype it and go, you know what? I think that this really appeals to people, young families, parents, 
of young children. This is a great fit for us for this mm-hmm. type of thing. Like, like that's an example, depending on what the type of nonprofit is. Because I have that, so I'm I'm using my own example. T- Tim, I'm conscious of time, um, and yeah. I know people need to get off for dinner or lunch, depending on where they are. I will say Tim is always very generous with his with his knowledge and with you know just very helpful. So um, I pop Tim's LinkedIn in the um, chat. Do connect with them. I mean, you don't mind people reaching out to you? Not no, them. not at all. Very good. Very good. I love it. Um, so do find do hunt down Tim. He's he's got an opinion for everything. Ninety nine percent of which I agree with. I love listening to Tim. Uh, very good to hear from you, Tim. What 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 else? Um, where else should people follow you? Are you mainly on LinkedIn these days? Is That's the LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Yeah, I'm not on. I, I I mean, I'm in Facebook groups, basically mm-hmm. correcting people on like, <laughs> no, Neon One's not owned by some random company or something like that like it's stuff like that no linkedin's my my favorite well i'll tell you why i trust him as a as a tech person because he's one of the most critical of tech people tech people out there you know and i think yeah i always trust a tech person who's like look tech isn't gonna fix all your problems you know any tech guy who tells you it's gonna fix your problems is lying i I actually i would make an argument that we're in a lot of this mess because we (laughs) listen to the tech the wrong tech people for too long yeah and um so i loved what you were saying in that all about these baby steps and everything like that i would just like to say thank you tim and uh, i hope you have a very uh, uh happy holidays and i hope you enjoy you, you too i got it you, please follow up about about where you got that jumper because yeah. i like uh, no, I'm, my, I'm my own version too i'm gonna get so. you one absolutely i'll be love in it, touch love with it. sizes and things like that love it um tim so lovely to see you and i'll chat to you again in the coming weeks but okay thank you very much folks have a great day happy holidays and rock the end of the year you got this thank you so much for listening to the fundraising everywhere podcast if you're enjoying this podcast why not share it with a fundraising friend And if you would like to give us a little like or subscribe, it really helps more fundraisers like you find us. Thank you so much. See you next time.